Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series on the uh, Ten Commandments. And uh, what we've been saying is that the Ten Commandments are uh, God's answer to the question, what is the good life? Right? And who better to answer that question than the creator of the universe? And so uh, in the Ten Commandments, we have what I've said are the limits that lead to freedom. So the Ten Commandments are not a straitjacket. They're the right limits, and they're the limits that allow you to flourish as a human being. And therefore, the Ten Commandments are not the opposite of God's grace. They're not the opposite of God's love. The Ten Commandments are an expression of God's grace. Um, it, is, it is the way that we live lives of freedom as human beings. And so uh, we've looked at uh, the first commandment, the second one, third and fourth and fifth. And this morning we're going to look at the sixth commandment. And so uh, let me read it for us. It's verse uh, 13. <clears throat> you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Now the sixth commandment is the shortest commandment. And it consists of just two words in the original. Lo ratzak, two Hebrew words, which literally uh, means don't kill. And, uh, you know, it has a more specific meaning than that. Um, in the Hebrew, the word ratzak, um, probably the NIV translates uh, it the best, uh, which uh, NIV translates it, do not murder, right? So this is a commandment, this is a prohibition against the unlawful taking of an innocent life. It is a commandment, a prohibition against premeditated and in murder and involuntary manslaughter. So it's a, it's a prohibition against murder. Now, on the one hand, this is incredibly relevant. This is phenomenally relevant in our world today. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, 50 people were gunned down in an Orlando nightclub. And so, and this sort of thing is becoming uh, all too commonplace in our world today. It seems like every time you turn on the news or, or you open, uh, you know, the, the, onto a news website, murder is staring us right in the face. Right, and so uh, from uh, Kentucky to Columbine, there are, there's a rash of school shootings in, in our country. And then even around the world, there's ethnic violence in Europe. There's attempted genocide in Africa. There's religious warfare in the Middle East. And so uh, Pope John Paul II called our culture a culture of death. And, you know, uh, my wife and I were, uh, right after this uh, Orlando shooting, my wife and I were in our kitchen and we were just uh, thinking about when we were younger, and sort of the biggest thing that happened when we were younger were like these, you know, the Night Stalker, you know, these, uh, these murderers who would go and kill one person by one. This idea that 50 people could be gunned down at once is unheard of. I mean, this is, uh, it's, an, it's evidence that this commandment is phenomenally relevant. And yet I think its application seems to be a little bit narrow. Because really only a limited uh, uh, people, uh, only a few people in our society uh, commit these horrific acts. You know, I would wager that most of you this morning have not committed murder. And I'm glad that that's the case. Uh, this, this seems to be a commandment that is narrow in its application. And in, in fact, maybe some of you, when you read the first commandment, your, your first reaction was, "Woo! you know, you had me on do not lie. Uh, you had me on do not covet, but murder. Check. Haven't done that one. It seems so simple. But the point I want to drive home this morning is that there is a depth to this commandment. Uh, there, is, there is a broadness to this commandment, and really it is a commandment that if we understand it and in the full implications of it, we'll find out that no commandment is more blatantly or b- brutally violated. Uh, this commandment has application for all of us. And I think also this is a commandment that gets down to the heart of the Christian life. 
do not murder, I want to show you, is, is really the essence, it gets to the heart and the essence of what it means to follow God, what it means to please God, what it means to love God. This commandment gets down to something very essential about what it means to be a Christian, very important about what it means to be a Christian. But in order for me to show that, I have to, uh, we have to look at three things, okay, always three things. Uh, in order to understand the, uh, the application of this commandment, we, number one, have to see the foundation of the commandment, the foundation of do not murder. And then second of all, the intended depth or the depth of the commandment, do not murder. And then finally, the opposite of this commandment. We've got to three, see all three of those if we're going to understand what this actually is getting at. <clears throat> so let's look at the first one, the foundation of do not murder. Now notice it's just, a, like I said, it's a very short commandment. And it just sort of assumes that we understand the reason why. It doesn't go on and give us an in-depth explanation as to why we shouldn't murder. It just assumes you know, right? Don't murder, uh, you know, enough, said. But uh, really, th there is a very good reason why murder is so heinous. And the way we understand it is by understanding one very important phrase. In Latin, it's the phrase, the imago Dei. In English, it's the phrase, the image of God. And when the Bible tells us not to murder, it's so heinous to take a human life because of the fact that all human beings are made in God's image. Now, this is not the first time God told us not to murder people. Way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 9, God is talking to Noah. And he tells Noah, he, he sort of reiterates the fact that, you know, it's not right to shed innocent blood. And then he gives at that point a reason why. He says, don't murder not because it's not a nice thing to do or not because it's rude or inconsiderate. He says in Genesis 9, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man his blood shall be shed. For, he says, notice, God made man in his own image. Why should we not murder? What is the foundation of do not murder? The imago Dei, the image of God. Now the phrase image of God is not something that the Bible invented. This was in currency in the pagan world. Um, it, people, all, there's already sort of a, an understanding of the image of God in the ancient world. But the thing about it is it was always applied to kings as sort of a royal propaganda to protect the authority of the king. The king was the only one who was said to be made in the image of God. You know, the pharaoh. But the, new t the, the uh, Genesis comes along and it says something that no one ever dared to say before. Genesis says that all human beings, not just the kings, all human beings are equally image of God. So that means slave or free, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, black or white, it doesn't matter. The Bible says that all of us reflect God because we're all made in God's image. And what this means, uh, what the point that the Bible is trying to drive home when it says this is that there is an objective, irreducible, rock-solid glory and significance to every human being. There's an objective, rock-solid glory and significance to every single human being. And therefore, to kill a life is to destroy God's masterpiece. God has put a stamp on every one of us the way a great artist signs his name on a work of art. Therefore, to destroy a life is to destroy one of God's masterpieces. John Calvin put it this way. He said, our neighbor bears the image of God. To use him, abuse him, or misuse him is to do violence to the person of whom God images himself in every way. So let me put it this way. 
Um, if I was, if, if I uh, painted a work of art, if I, uh, you know, painted a picture of a, of a beautiful scenery or whatever, and, and I put it up here, and, and one of you ran up on stage and began to rip it apart with a knife. Now, you would offend me if you did that. You would hurt my feelings, but that wouldn't be a tragedy because I am not a good artist. And frankly, my art is not very good. It's not very valuable. It's not worth much. But listen, every single human being is God's masterpiece. And because of that, every single human being has infinite worth. And therefore, to damage or destroy or to murder any human life is incredibly heinous, according to the Bible. We are God's masterpiece. There is sanctity to every human life. Now, I want to contrast that with the way we think about human life in the modern world, because this is not really a given. You know, in our modern scientific age, we sort of jettison the idea of the image of God. And my question is, how then do you locate a person's dignity and worth? Science doesn't tell you that. Uh, there's a story of a, of a doctor. He was actually a resident in a hospital, and he was doing rounds with a, with a chief physician. And they were discussing um, all the different cases, and they came upon a woman who was struggling with depression. And so uh, 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 in addition to all of her physical ailments, this woman was also struggling with her self-worth, with clinical depression. And they were discussing, well, what do we do for this poor woman? And one of the residents said, well, why don't we just once a day go into this woman and just tell her you have infinite value, reminder of her worth as a human being. And the chief doctor looked at this resident and said, how do you know that? And all the residents sort of chuckled like he's got to be joking. But the chief doctor said, no, I'm serious. How do you know that? Science does, well, we all believe in science. Science does not give you a basis for saying that. In fact, it was uh, Bertrand Russell, who was a famous, famous atheist, he said this, man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. His origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but, listen, the outcome of the accidental collocation of atoms. So you get rid of the idea of the image of God. What do you have? You have we are complex, but we're an accident. So this is the modern conundrum. Where do we locate the dignity of life of a human being? Science has an issue, but the Bible doesn't have this problem. The Bible says imago Dei image of God, every single human being, whether you're black or white, slave or free, free, male or female, all of us have an irreducible, rock-solid glory and significance because you're God's masterpiece. And therefore, it's wrong to take any human life. This is the foundation of this command. And this is why I loved, um, it was on CNN, it was right after the uh, shooting in Orlando. It was Anderson Cooper, he got on TV, anybody see that one? He got on TV and he said, look, this is a tragedy, and I want you to know that every single one of those men and women who were killed in that night, nightclub had infinite value. And he went on and he named every single person that was killed, and he told a little bit of their story. And the reason why I love that is because he's demonstrating that every human life, whether you agree with them or not, whether they're different than you or not, whether they sin differently than you or not, every single human life has dignity and worth, and it is wrong to take that life. This is the anchor, this is the foundation of this command. Now somebody, before I move on, let me just answer an object, objection. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. You're talking about glory and significance, but doesn't the Bible also say that we are depraved and sinful? 
I mean, what is all this talk about the biblical view of how glorious we are? The Bible says that we're sinful. Where's the glory in that? Well, listen, the Bible says that although we are broken, although we are sinful, that is not the deepest thing about you. Sin does not erase the image of God, the imago Dei. In fact, even after sin enters into the world, the Bible is still calling humans image of God. So as Gregory as Nyssa said, he said, uh, our godlike beauty is hidden under curtains of shame. We still have that stamp. We still have the image of God, and therefore it's always wrong to kill. Okay, so that's the foundation of the command. Let's look at the depth of this command, because this command is, is uh, there's more to it than meets the eye. This command is much deeper than do not murder. There's, a, there, there's an intended depth to what God wants to get across when he tells us this. And I think that Jesus, in his most famous sermon, tells us what that is. Uh, Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is Matthew 5. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, or you worthless thing, will be liable to the hell of fire. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you, he says, listen, if you think that you have avoided the sixth commandment by not murdering, you've completely misunderstood it. If you think that the only way to devalue and defame and destroy the image of God in your neighbor is to kill them, you haven't gone deep enough. Jesus says, look, anytime you hate, anytime you show contempt, anytime you have disdain for your neighbor, you are destroying the image of God in that person. You're not acknowledging the imago Dei, the infinite worth of that human being. And so here's the question Jesus wants us to ask. Not only have I murdered, but is there a seed of murderous rage in my heart? Because 1 John says that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And what this means is that in order to see if we're really, uh, you know, obeying this commandment, we've got to look at our hearts, we've got to look at our internal dialogue. We have to look at the things that we think about people and the things that we say about people. There is a depth to this commandment. And so do not murder is sort of like an iceberg, right? You look at an iceberg and there's just a little bit, you know, poking out on top of the water. But there's a whole, you know, load of ice underneath. And so the commandment, do not murder, you know, murder is the tip of the iceberg. But underneath the surface, there's contempt and anger and rage and disdain that is the seed of murder. And Jesus says you have to look underneath. There's a depth to what I'm trying to get across to you here. And so, you know, I, I spent some time this week asking the question, how do I break this commandment? Is there any way that I personally find myself disdaining people, devaluing the image of God in other people? And I came, out, came up with a few uh, ways. So, uh, you know, I used to live in a big city. And in a big city, you know, the greatest concentration of the image of God uh, you know, there's more uh, image of God per square inch on the 405 freeway than anywhere else. And so I found myself breaking this commandment all the time on the 405, getting angry, disdain, what's wrong with you, you idiot, right? This is what's going on in my heart. But in Batesville, where is, where is, where is the image of God found in Batesville? Where is there more image of God anywhere else 
in Batesville than there is, uh, where is that? Walmart, Walmart exactly. <laughs> now, Walmart is, uh, it is a melting pot of different races, of different cultures, of different ethnicities, of different social classes. Do you ever find yourself filled with disdain when you go into Walmart? As you look at people, what's wrong with those people? You look at the checker, why is she going so slow? Right? And so you're filled with disdain. Why? You know, God looks at, you know, the people in Walmart, and they're the, you know, image of God, they're the most beautiful thing in all creation. How do you look at people? How do you, what is your internal dialogue as you walk through Walmart? Now you're getting at the heart of the sixth commandment. Do you disdain people? Do you reject people? What about on Facebook? Here's another one. You know, we're in, a, we're in an election cycle, and on Facebook, you often come across people where you, you disagree with them on a very deep level. And as you are scrolling through your feed on Facebook, what is going through your mind? What is your internal dialogue? You know, the way you commit the Sixth Commandment on Facebook is by defriending people. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want you. You're dirt, you're slime. Why do you, how could you even think that? You're breaking the Sixth Commandment. That's disdain, it's contempt. As you're scrolling through and you see the picture of your ex-boyfriend, that, that piece of dirt, right? You're, you need to look at your, what are you thinking when you look at human beings? Another way we could, we could break this is in our marriages. Uh, when we were doing the marriage series, one of the things, one, I read an author, his name was Dr. John Gottman, and he gave the, the, all the, the main predictors of divorce. And the greatest predictor of divorce in marriage is this idea he said of contempt, the sixth commandment. It's when you look at your spouse and you think, what is wrong with you? You devalue the image of God in them. And your internal dialogue starts to work and you're thinking, what? I don't understand you and you don't make any sense to me. And so, and so we have this contempt even in our marriages. And so do we break the sixth commandment? We've got to go deep. There's an intended depth to what God is saying here. And so I've got some questions that we could ask ourselves. Um, one of them is, do you ever say anything to hurt someone? Do you ever take secret satisfaction in another's misfortune? Do you have an enemy, someone, uh, someone you are out to get? Do you want to make somebody pay for what they've done? Do you ever get so angry that you're out of control? You see, we've got to go underneath. This is a, this, it's like an iceberg. And you ask yourself, not only did I, do I murder, but is there a root of hatred in my heart? Do I despise people? But let's look at the third thing, because we not only need to see the foundation, everybody's made in the image of God, or, and the depth to it, we, we, dis, we despise and we don't recognize the image of God anytime we disdain or hate another human being that's made in the image of God. But then finally, we need to see the opposite of this command. Because the Ten Commandments, uh, most all of them are negative. They are, they, most all of them are thou shalt nots. But every single commandment has a positive application of it. And so if you're really going to understand the Sixth Commandment, do not murder, you have to ask the question, what is the positive application of this particular commandment? Every commandment has two sides to it. Every commandment is both positive and negative. Where a sin is forbidden, a corresponding duty is required. There is a flip side, in other words, to every commandment. So what is the flip side of do not murder? 
Well, I think the answer to that is simple. The flip side of do not murder is love your neighbor. The flip side of do not murder is to recognize the weight of your neighbor's glory. The flip side of do not murder is, in a positive way, acknowledge the infinite value and worth of every single human in your life. Whether that is your wife or your husband, whether that's the, the people at work, your coworkers, whether it's the people in Walmart, whether it's your neighbor whose lawn is way too immaculate. Sorry, that was personal. You see, there's, there's a positive way to obey this commandment. We need to love our enemies, even, Jesus says. In fact, uh, this is Je- the way Jesus put it. He says, uh, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Right? So love your enemies. Do you acknowledge the infinite worth of every human being in your life? Someone says, I can't acknowledge him because he's a sinner. He hurt me. Listen, he's still made in the image of God. The flip side is to acknowledge and give weight to every image of God that you come across in your life. Now, this doesn't mean that we always affirm everybody. Sometimes, in order to give somebody weight, you have to challenge them and say, you hurt me. It means that you, you need to forgive people in order to show them their dignity. But it means you always show somebody their infinite worth. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there is no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be that, uh, of that kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. Are you taking your neighbor seriously? Now, nobody did this better than Jesus, obviously. Uh, Jesus, uh, as he walked around this earth, he, he loved sinners, and he embraced harlots and tax collectors. And then the Bible says that Jesus showed his ultimate love for us and that he, while we were yet sinners, he died on the cross for us. And so uh, what Tim Keller says is that you were so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. But you were so valuable that he was willing to die for you. Well, someone says, well, that's good for Jesus, but I can't do this. Well, you're right, you can't. The contempt... The hatred, the sin in your heart goes so deep that there is no way you can obey this commandment the way you should, on your own. The natural man cannot obey the sixth commandment. But this is what the gospel is about. The gospel tells us is that what you can't do on your own, Jesus Christ will enable you to do. Jesus died not only to forgive you, but to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to fill you with himself so that you could go into this world and love people the way he loved people. And the heart of the gospel is that you can do this now. And and yes, of course we all sin, but now at least there is the seed of God's spirit that enables us to do this thing with some sort of integrity. Well, let me end by giving us a few little uh, practical ways we can do this. I'm going to give you uh, two little uh, suggestions, and then I'll give you a story. Okay, someone says, well, how can I love my neighbor? How can I not murder them in my heart? How can I actually show them the dignity that's owed to them? Number one, 
pray for that person. Somebody this morning, they said, you know, I, there's this person and I struggle with him so much. He's in my, my business place. And I've found that if I start praying for him, my hatred for him goes away. So you can start praying for people in your life. Start with the ones that annoy you the most. But second of all, watch your internal dialogue. And ask yourself the question, am I, am I acknowledging the weight of my neighbor's glory? My wife, my husband, my coworkers, my neighbors. Am I treating every person practically as image of God? Well, let me end with a story. This is a, a story I got out of a book called Love the Killer App. And it's a business, one of those business books. And the author, he says that love is not something that you only do at home. He says love is for all of life. And he tells this story. He says, I received an email from a young manager named Steve at a software company who admitted that he had not seen his, his reports face-to-face in over six months. This was unusual because they worked in the same building on the same floor. In his email, he told me that he decided he would personally visit all six of his people and tell them one thing great about their work. So Steve went to all six of his employees and he told them why he appreciated them and one thing they did wonderfully. One of his software engineers, Lenny, came in the next day and presented him with a badly wrapped but well-intended gift, an Xbox gaming console. Steve wondered how Lenny could afford such an extravagant gift, given his pay cuts over the last year. He asked Lenny, where did you get the money for such a great gift? Lenny looked him straight in the eye and said, I sold my 9mm pistol, boss. This got the attention and focus of Steve. Lenny continued, you never asked, so I never told you. I moved here from Denver last year after my mom died. She was my best and only friend. I never made friends here, either at work or in my apartment building. After three months, I got totally depressed. I went to a pawn shop and I bought a beautiful chrome-plated pistol and a handful of bullets. I started a routine every night after work of eating a bowl of ramen, listening to Nirvana, and getting the gun out. It took almost a month to get the courage to put the bullets in the gun. It took another couple of months to get used to the feeling of the barrel of the gun on the top of my teeth. For the next few weeks, I was putting ever so slight pressure on the trigger and was getting so close, Steve, so close. Then last week, you freaked me out. You came into my cubicle, put your arm around me, and told me you appreciated me because I turn in all my projects early, and that helps you sleep at night. Remember, you also said I have a great sense of humor over email and that you're glad I came into your life. That night, I went home, and I ate ramen, and I listened to Nirvana. And when I got out the gun, it scared me silly for the first time. All I could think about was what you said, that you were glad I came into your life. The next day, I went back to the pawn shop and sold the gun. I remembered that you wanted the Xbox game worse than anything, but with a new baby at home, you could not afford it. So for my life, you get this game. Thanks, boss. And then the author concludes by saying this. He says, sometimes people just need people. Sometimes image of God just needs image of God. They need encouragement. You have no idea how lonely and sad some people might be. 
Love them everywhere, not just at home, but at work or wherever you find them. Love is the killer app. Never forget it. Listen, human beings are made in the image of God. Never forget it. And you encounter these people everywhere in your life. And the gospel gives you the power. And Jesus sets the example. And our communities will be different if we will give people the weight of the glory that God has made in them. It changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this commandment. It's do not murder. It's, it not only condemns our, our hatred and our contempt of others, but also gives us a positive path where we could love others, uh, giving them the weight of the glory that, that is due them, Lord, uh, acknowledging, Lord, that they are imago Dei, our spouses and our coworkers and our neighbors. Lord, they are the image of God. And Lord, help us to be like Jesus and love the unlovables. Lord, help us to be like Jesus and acknowledge that every single person is infinitely valuable. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.